Greetings and welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, your host. And we are in the midst of a series on the Enteric Castle. This is number nine in the series. Um, we're going to continue throughout the rest of 2023 on this series. Today, we're going to be covering the sixth dwelling place, particularly chapters four through six, which deals with ecstasies, raptures, and flights of the spirit. So it's an intense couple of chapters here. And I have to apologize for the delay. We we would have normally put this podcast in, in August, um, but my daughter um, had a high-risk pregnancy. But the baby arrived, <laughs> and everybody is safe and sound. Thanks be to God and the prayers of so many people. So uh, that's why we were delayed in posting this actually putting it together. So um, again, I welcome my dear sister in Carmel, Teresa Rittenhouse. Hello, Teresa. Good morning. I'm so glad you're joining me because <laughs> you and I both agree that there's a, a lot of intense discussion that's going to happen right now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I need your help to do this. So I'm so glad you're here with me. And as always, we like to begin with a prayer. We like to begin and end with a prayer. So today, um, we chose the opening prayer from the book by John Paul Thomas called The Interior Journey Toward God. Teresa, would you please lead us in prayer? I'd be lovely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My infinite God, you are glorious beyond all comprehension. You are far above me in every way. I submit myself to the mystery of your very being and adore you in the mystery that you are. I love you and pray that you will continue to draw me into your sacred presence, revealing yourself to me as you will. Indwelling of the most holy trinity, I love you. I trust you. I surrender my life to you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, I couldn't help but think as you were praying, um, I focused in on those words, draw me. And it reminded me of how St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower, how she often used that as a prayer, um, a short ejaculation, draw me. So I challenged the listeners, pray, draw me frequently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We are now going to go so deep into the interior castle of the soul, that it's difficult to describe some of the things that may happen here. So I'm asking God, please grant us the grace to worthily convey what he wants us to learn through the teachings and experiences of the great Carmelite St. Teresa of Avila, and may she intercede for us. In fact, I pulled out, I had the first class relic of St. Teresa of Avila. I've got her right here beside me. So she is here with us. And all you listeners in a very particular way. So may she um, help us and um, grant us clarity and understanding. So this sixth mansion is a very large mansion. Lots of rooms to explore. So we have much to discuss. But as always, we like to do some subtitles to kind of frame um, 
what we're going to be talking about. So we've selected a few of the subtitles of this mansion to um, echo kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, Would you care to talk to us about those, Teresa? Well, this is the mansion of betrothal, the mystical spousals, the engagement, prayer of ecstatic union, the passion of God's love. This is the passion mansion. Um, a true death to self. It's tried and true, the agony and the ecstasy. And I love this, caught up in God. And then I added one, revelation of God. So this is God revealing himself more and more intimately to the soul. So he's communicating to the soul and the soul has experienced experiences of him so in its experiential sense of God's revelation to the soul so now there are changing patterns of prayer in this communication with God or or his communicating to the soul Uh, prayer is now more and more experiential as I said so they are the soul is experiencing the touches the words um, the secrets from God And there's still an ebb and flow in the intensity of prayer in various prayer forms. However, contemplation now, this infused contemplation, that gift, has now deepened to the point that God is now able to communicate himself to the soul beyond the limits of the exterior senses and language. So now we're talking interiorly. In the fourth mansion prayer, we learned that to know God, we've, we've got to listen to him in prayer more than talk to him. And this is the union of the faculty of the will with God. So in union with God. In the fifth mansion prayer, we learned to focus our attention on God alone in a way that allowed prayer to become simple. Simple abiding in Christ. All of the faculties of the soul are more or less united with God in the prayer of union in touches of his love. And now here in this sixth mansion or sixth dwelling place, the prayer, this silent abiding has now become the very nature of our prayer life. And in this wonderful silence, it may happen due to the excessive light and fire of love from God's intimate embraces that our senses are overwhelmed resulting in these experiences of ecstasies, raptures, flights of the spirit, wounds of love, locutions, visions, some of which we will discuss today. And I like to always relate these mansions to the Our Father prayer. Um, And the petition that we're relating to today is Thy Kingdom Come. And I get this from R. Thomas Richard, from one of his books, The Ordinary Path to Holiness. He's also had an article online about relating the Our Father to the seven mansions. And so he's the one who put this together, at least where I found it. So today we're talking about thy kingdom come. How appropriate for what we're discussing today. So, Teresa, Help us to understand how this petition is related um, to what we're going to talk about in this sixth mansion today. 
well, the soul has fallen so deeply in love with his majesty at this point. The mansions of the betrothal, these mystical espousals, God is preparing your home. He is revealing his kingdom slowly but surely, showing his power, majesty, and protection, as well as proclaiming, and I would love this, wouldn't we all love this, him saying, you are mine and I am yours. Yes. Uh, wouldn't we all love to hear that? God continues to acclimate and expand the soul to receive his pure spirit. So he's preparing us, you know, all the stuff this way. So don't be prepared, you know, scared about this. He does prepare a soul. The soul must fight battles versus opposing kingdoms within and without. And the soul experiences profound suffering and joy in Christ which results in increased attachment and self-forgetfulness. The soul is determined to do God's will in all things, and only God can console and satisfy the soul in this state. Extraordinary mystical graces may occur here, but they're not mandatory in order to advance to the seventh dwelling place. And that's important for all of our listeners to understand. We're we're talking about extraordinary mystical um, favors, graces, but a soul may get all the way to the seventh mansion without manifesting any of these. So God moves the soul as he wills according to, to that which he thinks is best for the soul. And, and so we shouldn't be worried if we don't have any of these experiences because God knows what is best for us. And we shouldn't desire these favors. We should just recognize them and when we hear about them, praise God, because it's it's helping us to understand the reality of God. And I remember reading in Tear Castle the first time, and my thought was, wow, there are souls that really know and experience God. <laughs> <laughs> and that to me was like, wow, it's such a revelation. And and you know, I'd been looking for that proof. And you know, there's all kinds of books proving the existence of God and everything. But this one in Tear Castle, especially here in the sixth mansion, even in the fifth with the certitude that comes in that prayer of union, I was like, that is convincing to me. So the you know, we were talking about the soul is uh fighting battles, uh, both you know, opposing kingdoms, both within and without. And they're also becoming more fruitful in their work for God because they want everyone to know God and to love him and to glorify him. In fact, I I found in the way of perfection um, something that Teresa Vavala wrote. You know, the, the second half of the way of perfection is her reflection on the Our Father prayer. So I went to it and I found... Um, something of her quote here. She said, um, says, but there are times, and this is from chapter 30 in the way of perfection, but there are times when tired from our travels, we experience that the Lord calms our faculties and quiets the soul as though by signs, he gives, gives us a clear foretaste of what will be given to those he brings to his kingdom. And to those to whom he gives here below the kingdom, we ask for, you know, because we say thy kingdom come. So, and to those to whom he gives here below the kingdom we ask for, 
He gives pledges so that through these they may have great hope of going to enjoy perpetually what here on earth is given only in sips. But yes, we get to experience a sense of the kingdom here on earth. And there are those souls that um, experience the kingdom in a broader and more particular way than others. So um, it's really beautiful. And and I found this passage from Isaiah chapter 61, 10, that is talking about this preparation for the spiritual marriage. So here we are, sixth mansion. This is where spiritual betrothal, or what we would today think of as engagement, um, is occurring. Okay. Would you mind reading that scripture passage for us? I rejoice heartily in the Lord. In my God is the joy of my soul. For he has clothed me with a robe of salvation and wrapped me in a mantle of justice. Like a bridegroom adorned with a diadem, like a bride bedecked with her jewels. So there's several points here why this is important for our discussion today. The joy, the rejoicing, because we're going to talk about the prayer of jubilation. The robe of salvation, the mantle of justice is how God is preparing and clothing his bride to be so that on the wedding day, she will be dressed in white, purified, right? (laughs) And then be decked with jewels because we're going to talk about betrothal jewels later in this podcast. So the preparation for spiritual marriage. So um, Let's just go back to that description of the sixth dwelling place from Teresa's own words. She says the sixth dwelling place is where the soul is now wounded with love for its spouse and strives for more opportunities to be alone, of course, in prayer and in conformity with its state to rid itself of everything that can be an obstacle to this solitude. So that single eye of um Focusing on the Lord and wanting to be with him. And just just like other, you know, in the world, couples that are engaged, they're also seeking out times to be alone together, right? Absolutely. (laughs) This is normal. (laughs) All right. um, Your head is in the clouds, the heavenlies, and (laughs) you forget about everything. (laughs) Yeah, and and you want to get to know each other more, more intimately. And so so does God with the soul. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) That's why I think marriage was made in heaven. (laughs) And the spiritual marriage is is more real than what we do here on earth. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so let's talk about the heart's desire in relationship to God. Well, the will becomes fully occupied with God to know and to do his will. And the soul is now so wounded with love for its spouse and strives for more opportunities to be alone and in conformity with its state, to rid itself of everything that can be an obstacle to the solitude with God. You know, and that's just like what you do, you know, when you are engaged, you clear all your date books, your time, because <laughs> you want it free. Um, the soul is now dependent on God rather than creatures. And the soul values people and creation only in relationship to God. Uh, God is the focus, is the priority. 
The soul's identity, significance, security, and approval are now seen in God alone. Um, it doesn't matter what people uh, think or, you know, you want to still be kind and loving, and that's what you are. Um, but you only see God's words. These souls are so on fire with the love for God. And I think that fire of love for God is contagious and radiates to these souls, don't you think? It does. When you see people in love, you just want to be in love, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of people I want to hang with. <laughs> exactly. They're happy. They're loving. They're kind, joyful. <laughs> just like you, Teresa. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the stance of the soul now. So where there was exterior or outward detachment in the fourth dwelling place, now in the sixth, the soul is being exercised in interior detachment. So that's interesting. You know, you're being detached from your ego. You're being detached from the, the root sense. That's why we're in the dark night of the spirit, right? The sixth yes. mansion is the dark night of the spirit that John of the Cross talks about. Whereas in the fourth mansion, the soul was purified in the dark night of senses. Now in the sixth mansion, the soul is more intensely purified in the dark night of the spirit, both the active and the passive aspects. And so um, there are greater trials in the sixth mansion, but of course, we know it leads to greater favors. And we're going to talk about a lot of those favors today. But the highlight of the sixth mansion is the betrothal. That's where um, it takes place here in this sixth mansion. But it happens at a great cost. Because, you know, it's an immense blessing. And so it's it's not a cheap grace, but a costly grace. And um, there's a period of testing, just like in any engagement. You, you've got to test out the commitment that the person says they're willing to make. And so God is going to test the, the, the soul, um, purify the soul, give it jewels. Uh, so uh, give it gifts, just like. Um, any engaged couple, I like to gift each other so surprises. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and we will talk more about this betrothal. So I'm just giving a headliner here. <laughs> so St. Teresa discusses the favors and the extraordinary phenomena that, that may occur in this mansion. And we last time talked about the locutions, their, the visions, Today, more on the ecstasies. But, you know, all souls can benefit from the knowledge of these in order to lead us to praise God for his mercy towards us humans. And so as to know some of what he may do in souls to draw them closer to him. And for me, it was, you know, the reality that he is engaging and relating with us individually and uniquely and how beautiful that is. So let's start now. Um, on chapter four of the sixth dwelling place. And we want to start with what's happening to our little butterfly. Remember the butterfly, the, 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 the cocoon and the transformation that was occurring of the caterpillar into the butterfly. And then the butterfly comes free in the fifth mansion. Now in the sixth mansion, what's happening, Teresa? Well, we begin in chapter four of the sixth dwelling place and we pick up on this little butterfly 
the butterfly had gone through a huge transformation through prayer of union and was set free from its earthly ways of seeing things. And now it begins to see the world from a new vantage point as a butterfly. Yet the sweet encounter with God in prayer of union has increased the soul's desire to be with him, which results in this new restlessness, finding everything earthly is wearisome. Hence, the butterfly is still flitting about, finding nowhere to rest. <laughs> yeah, that, that butterfly can't seem to find any stability because it's pulled by its desires to, to leave the world and be with the Lord. Yeah, I want to, you know, uh, uh, Teresa of Avila wrote that poem, I die because I do not die. <laughs> she wants to, <laughs> to be with him so much. And yet the contradictory desire of wanting to go into the midst of the world and try to save some souls, play a part in getting even one soul to praise God more. So that's that's the contradictions that are happening. So that's why the butterfly is flitting about. Um, and so, you know, in our last podcast covered in chapter one through three of the six dwelling places, St. Teresa pointed out various ways the souls suffer here. And of course, these sufferings just increase the soul's desire for God. However, these sufferings also strengthen the soul because it causes it to exercise courage or fortitude, a virtue that St. Teresa consistently tells us is necessary so as to prepare it to be joined to the Lord. What does Teresa say to us about courage? Well, she explains and his majesty, as one who knows our weakness, is enabling the soul through these afflictions and many others to have the courage to be joined with so great a Lord and to take him as its spouse. And she continues, with respect to the king of heaven, I tell you, there is a need for more courage than you think. You know, <laughs> if you think about, you know, say you're you're going to go... You know, for some people, it's a basketball player, or a football player, and others, it's you know, uh, the president or the king, or or maybe it's the boss of the corporation you work for, the the you know, the chief executive officer. You know, you think about how you you know, you want to be dressed the right way, you want to say the right things to the you know, the, the worldly things we think about. But this is so much more because. God is so beyond what we can think of him because he's infinitely good. And and we we might start to talk about him and but we could never finish because he's infinitely good and his awesomeness, his power, his majesty, um, his uh, wisdom, it, it just exudes. And so it's overwhelming to the soul. Right. So we need fortitude fortitude or courage is very necessary because of god's greatness and because of our weakness of our impurity he is pure spirit and we are not but he is trying to purify us as we cooperate with him he will <laughs> purify us which is a good thing because we want you know only the pure will enter heaven right and absolutely spiritual marriage is heaven on earth so um, in this sixth mansion, we are going to still undergo more purification. So um, the soul is facing those great battles interiorly for which courage is needed. And we're going to 
see some examples here soon. And how important surrender of the heart and will to God, how essential that is. Um, and it helps us to grow in our trust of the Lord, right? And it's it's so wonderful that Teresa's giving us um, some knowledge about what could possibly happen. Now, she doesn't cover everything, obviously, but she hits some really good high points. So that if these things happen to anybody that's listening or to somebody you know, um, you you might have some understanding. You might have some discernment because Teresa Baba is always giving us some discernment points on finding out if this is the devil, the self, or God doing it. So those are very important. But the biggest thing I think here, Teresa, is let go and let God. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So Teresa begins now to write about ecstasies, raptures, and transports lights of the spirit and so here is where it's going to be more clear why the courage is necessary all right well, so you know, is where it gets challenging right well and these things are extraordinary they're supernatural and so for her that's what she's saying you need courage and fortitude because it's like these are not normal things that happen to just normal people these are extraordinary things. <laughs> right. Okay. So now how do we categorize all this? Because, you know, Teresa used these terms interchangeably sometimes. Um, she might use rapture, or ecstasy, or transport for the same type of experience. So it can be a little confusing. So, um, I, you know, I have a lot of books of people writing on the interior castle. I always like to see how they approach this particular area. Some people just kind of gloss over it and don't go get into it. And others will get into it real deeply. One of those who does a great job, I think, on um, talking about all of these um, mystical phenomena um, is Sister Leslie Lund, L-U-N-D. She's a hermit of the... Um, Discast Carmelite Order, and she wrote this book, Journey into Divine Intimacy. Excuse me, Journey into Divine Intimacy with Saint Teresa Vavla, a retreat, spiritual direction guide, and study resource. It's almost, well, I think, four hundred pages. Almost. Anyway, she categorizes all of these mystical things, um, such as rapture, exorcism ecstasy, flight of the spirit, she categorizes them under suspensions because in all of them, God suspends or we might see the words captivate the faculties and the senses to some degree, some more, some less, some fully, some not so fully. So I, I like how she put all of those under suspension. So kind of, that's kind of what we're doing. <laughs> all of these are categorized under suspensions. But now, Teresa, I just found this. So I, I'm throwing this in there. Um, one of my favorite books on the spiritual life is called <laughs> The Spiritual Life, by the way, The Spiritual Life. And it's by Father Adolf Tanqueri. And I think he does a really good job of talking about the ascetical life and the mystical life. And he has this one chapter where he's talking about infused contemplation and he gets to what he calls ecstatic union. 
And he says there's two forms of a static union, sweet and bitter. <laughs> and then he talks about each of those. And he says, well, what is ecstasy? Which I, I like his definition. It simply refers to the suspension of the activity of the exterior senses. All right. And then she sa he says, um, there are two elements which constitute this ecstatic union. And that's sometimes a subtitle for the sixth dwelling place, ecstatic union. And what are those two elements? The absorption of the soul in God, okay? And the suspension of the activity of the senses. And that would be interior or exterior, okay? Um, and he says there are three phases of this ecstatic union. He calls them these three principal phases in ecstasy as Number one, simple ecstasy. Number two, rapture. And number three, flight of the spirit. He says, and, I, and we're, we're going to discuss these more, but I just kind of want to give you briefly what he says. Um, he says, simple ecstasy is a sort of feigning spell which comes on gently and produces a sense of hurt at once painful and delightful. The spouse of the soul makes it feel his presence, but only for a time. Now the soul wants to have the joy of this divine presence continually and therefore suffers when deprived of it. Then he says rapture takes hold of the soul with an impetuosity and a violence. So once gradual, and he's talking about rapture, which I always thought was more intense. This is more impetual, impetuosity um, and violence that are irresistible. And that is the state where the betrothal takes place. So not in an ecstasy, but in a rapture. And Teresa does say that specifically. And then he says, rapture is followed by the flight of the spirit, which is so impetuous that it seems to sever the soul from the body. And resistance appears impossible. And there's a sense of flight, um, which are a movement, which I think is very uh, important. So I wanted to preview all of that um, just to let you know that there are some other sources out there that, that try to help us categorize and understand. So now we're going to go to, well, a little bit more detailed discussion of what is ecstasy. So I'm going to let you take it away on that one. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, it's an intense absorption of the soul in God an experience of going deep within and beyond self into the orbit of the divine. Now, I have to interrupt. This this deep within is important, going deep within, because rapture is going to be going out, going outward. So that's an important distinction here. Go ahead. And a gentle, deep spiritual union accompanied by an out-of-body experience. Um, the soul loses contact with its surroundings and is drawn to God. It is an overcoming of our limited natural being. It's a state of the soul characterized by a certain mystical union with God by means of contemplation and love, which exteriorly through the suspension leaves the soul with greater or less use of the senses. 
It's an experience of intense joy and uh, like a mystical fainting spell, which comes on gently and produces a sense of hurt that is both painful and delightful. And that's where she calls this a delightful wound. God makes the soul and feel to feel his presence for a time. And the soul wants this joy of divine presence continually. And so this is where um, it suffers when it's deprived of it. That's that agony and ecstasy. Um, yes. It creates such a great longing and the desire for God. And it awakens the soul, giving it deep enlightenment and knowledge of God. The essential characteristic of ecstasy is the understanding of truths, entering into the mystery, and knowing the secrets of God. Okay, so we have a sense that this is a going deep within, but beyond self, into God, and it's gradual, and and um, it is a suspension. And then those truths and secrets and mystery are revealed. So now we go to the rapture where the betrothal occurs and this rapture draws the soul out of its senses. So um, why does God give us raptures? Well, it it protects the soul from death, actually, um, because we're not pure and God is pure. And if, if he didn't draw us out of our faculties, our faculties would be so overwhelmed, it would kill us in ascension. And that's my understanding. Okay. So God is touching us from within, even when we are not in prayer, because now the soul is so alive with God. And what God does to soul here is remembered forever, but it's not necessarily explainable. So that's why we're having a difficult time talking about (laughs) this stuff, right? (laughs) It's mystical. It's a mystery. (laughs) All right. So, but it is um, a great grace. And so this is an experience of being so absorbed in the wonder of God that we are unaware of our surroundings. It's a mystical phenomenon in which the soul is born out of itself and exalted to a knowledge of divine things. And, and here's what I like to focus on. It's sudden and somewhat violent going out of self and elevated to the divine. Takes hold of the soul with an impetuosity and a violence that are irresistible. The natural weakness at first causes a sense of fear. So here's where we need the courage, right? Because you can't stop this when these things happen, right? (laughs) But it is mixed with this ardent love of God. So it's basically a surrender point. Do I I trust God? I I can't do anything about it. So I, I need to let go and let God, all right, and trust him for what's happening. It's in this state of rapture, again, where the spiritual espousal or engagement that is concluded. And once the rapture is over, the will may remain as if it were inebriated and now can only occupy itself with God. So if it doesn't have to deal with God, they don't want to have anything to do with it. (laughs) And the soul is left with great effects of this, of having this great insatiable desire to do penance. Um, so much so that it complains in the absence of suffering. And, and in addition, it, it receives great interior lights. And 
The raptures are a sign that so the soul's purification is incomplete. So that's interesting because in the seventh mansion, there are no raptures. Now, why is that? It's because the soul has already been expanded and tested and purified. And now they can handle the raptures. And so they don't manifest like they do in the sixth. So no raptures in the seventh. Um, the raptures are also short, very short in duration. So now, Tracy, talk to us about the kinds of rapture. <laughs> <laughs> well, I laugh, uh, I laugh only because I know this is like well, pretty intense and overwhelming at times. <laughs> absolutely. So the soul is touched by some word it remembers or hears about God, like peace. Um, the suspension of the faculties and senses in which some secrets of heaven are shared. It may include one or both the imaginative and the intellectual visions. And the extreme ecstasy, the rapture, it carries off the soul. There's diminished breath. It cannot speak or open eyes. The hands and the body grow cold. It, everything is all absorbed. And it lasts such a short time. Totally unaware of everything exterior, a person in this state doesn't engage in thought. This deep knowledge of God comes in a way that is distinct from ordinary ways of knowing. Um, it's like a little sip, a, a little sip of heaven. Um, and it's that you point out that um, the person doesn't engage in thoughts. So basically, they're just receiving, they're receptive, they're observing. They're, they're not speaking back. So it's exactly. not a conversation. It's all a gift coming in. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> um, the so transport um, is the sense of being somewhere else and experiencing that reality. And it can be a visionary experience or a physical one. Um, you know, <laughs> she's trying to explain all these wonderful things. Yeah, and so what's the difference between transport and what we're going to talk about next, flight of the spirit? Well, transport seems like you're here in one place, and then the next moment you're in another place. But flight of the spirit is an actual, you're feeling the movement. Um, it's a tsunami of the spirit um, where the soul is flooded and moved violently. So there's a real sense of travel here or movement. Um, so that it's interesting. It, it's it's a noiseless interior flight. It's not like your body physically moves. Although I think what was it? Saint Paul in in scriptures talking about he he went up to third heaven. He wasn't sure if he was in the body or out of the body. <laughs> so okay. So um, this is a clear movement, and you cannot imagine this. You can't make it happen. Of course, it's sudden. It's swift. It seems the spirit is carried off. And again, the soul is passive, um, no control, all in God's hands. So a deeper surrender to God's really necessary here. And this flight typically follows after the experience of rapture. Um, it's strong and unexpected impulsive impulses um, passively received by the soul of the love of God. 
that leave the soul with a consuming thirst for God. So strong and unexpected impulses passively received. Okay. Leaving the soul with a consuming thirst for God. You know, he wants to increase our desire for him. He said, he's like, come closer. Come closer. <laughs> and the soul's like, yes, I want to bring me there. <laughs> okay. Well, this flight of the spirit is so impetuous that it seems to sever the body from the soul. To think about that. Um, it makes me think of um, near-death experiences, right? If anyone has listened to the stories of people who have experienced near-death experiences, they seem to, to come out of their body and observe their body from afar. Um Although they're they're doing a lot of talking and thinking in those near death experiences, so <laughs> it, it, there's some difference here. There uh, is a little bit of difference, yes. <laughs> um, of course, uh, there are experiences of heavenly places, like the Apostle Paul and John describe, and these can be, of course, unnerving, even frightening. I mean, can you imagine? Just think of, you know. You all of a sudden you're you know you've been praying and all of a sudden you f you feel yourself swept up whether it's spiritually or even it's bodily swept up and taken out of your control wherever <laughs> you don't know where or who's doing it um, that can be unnerving right absolutely I, I, like levitating you know if you suddenly start levitating and you know you're looking down like. I'm way up high. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let me. Well, it would be like St. Peter stepping out of the boat. You yeah. know, it would be fearful. But your, your heart is so focused on Jesus. And then it's like you come to realize, like, what is happening? Yes. <laughs> Very good example. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, in this flight of the spirit, um, the soul is taught in an instant so many things together that if the soul spent many years studying it, it, it just wouldn't even equal one thousandth of what is learned here. Um, of course, strong courage, faith, confidence, and full surrender to God are important here. And so it's best, uh, Teresa tells us, to make an, a virtue out of necessity since the soul can't resist this, right? So make a virtue out of necessity. So, um, Tell us, Teresa, um, what are some of the characteristics of the flight of the spirit? Well, you're awed at the power of God. It, it is awesome. Um, would not dare to offend God. Um, causes powerful feelings in the soul. And it feels such tremendous gratitude to God. It feels a sense of obligation to serve God. Um, great awareness of its own weaknesses and imperfections. Uh, you know, you're in the heavenlies. I, I'm sure that our self-knowledge and self-awareness becomes more acute. Um, particular awareness of one's own poverty and of having nothing to give or to give up for God. Um, you know, he is our all. He's given us everything. Not sure whether they are in or out of the body. Um, they seem to be in another region of extraordinary light that's not earthly. Of course, we know Understood. God is light. You know, God exactly. is light. Exactly. 
light is an interesting thing to think about. Yes, uh, I find that lovely um, that she even points that out. Mm-hmm. Understanding is given without the use of words, you know, the inflow of knowledge um, may also include imaginative, imaginative or the intellectual visions. And when the soul recovers, it feels such great benefits. Um, it's left valuing earthly things very little in comparison to the things it's seen. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, when we read in the Bible that we have, we can't even think of what God has prepared for us in heaven. So if she has been able to to see that, it it would be, uh, the comparison would be uh, awesome. Life on earth afterwards is far more painful. It's left with such great blessings that give assurance that the experience was from God. You have that, you know, that you know, that you know. Experiences remained engraved in the memory. And the biggest one here, you're left um, with peace, calm, virtues, um, improvement in the soul, especially in three areas referred to as the three jewels that the spouse gives the soul. So this is called the three betrothal jewels. So isn't this interesting that on earth we give engagement rings, so that diamond on the finger, right? And so now what does God give the soul here as betrothal jewels? Well, the knowledge of the grandeur of God, um, the increased self-knowledge and humility, and little esteem for earthly things. Those are beautiful jewels. You know, I had to think. I I found um um I was doing some shopping and I found this really big oversized diamond ring. I mean, it's like ten inches in diameter, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a diamond ring, and I'm like, oh, this is a perfect, you know, uh, object for this discussion of spiritual uh, betrothal. So in the class I'm teaching on this topic, I I took it and I was like, do you see my engagement ring? (laughs) (laughs) And the, the last, the levitation, the supernatural, miraculous lifting of the body into the air. This did happen to St. Teresa of Avila a few times. And the best response of the soul is to place it itself before the mercy of God. You know, I'm thinking of St. Joseph of Cupertino. Wasn't he the the flying saint? Yes. He not just levitated a couple feet. He was way up there in the ceilings (laughs) flying around. And, of course, in that flight of the spirit, there there is that sense of levitation, but you know, if it's a bodily flight of the spirit, if it's a, a spiritual uh, flight of the spirit, then then you wouldn't see that. But um, also, the the great discalced Carmelite Saint Mary of Jesus crucified. Now she levitated. She flew up to the top of the trees, and she would sit up there on just like a, a really fragile branch and and this was witnessed and this is in the late 1800s right so um yeah uh, we have evidence of of these flying saints and so a lot of things are manifesting a lot of possibilities happening 
happen here. And there are so many other mystical graces that that come from God, which we are not going to discuss. <laughs> um, we we've talked enough enough uh, about all this, but because this is um, such a big topic, and and people are interested in it because you know it, it helps us praise God because He's actually this is His interaction with souls. It's wonderful. I I like to uh, recommend a couple books. Uh, one is written by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, the wonderful Discalced Carmelite. Uh, I think he's up. He, is he the one up for beatification? I can't remember. But it's Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. He wrote a book called Visions and Revelations. So you can trust that he's coming from a, par, a Carmelite viewpoint on that. Um, so that is really good. And then there's Revelations and Visions, another book by Augustine Poulain, Jesuit, and Private Revelation, Discerning with the Church by Mark Miravalli. I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. But so there are other books. And, you know, Teresa Vavla was very good about seeking out books and other um, theologians and teachers of the spiritual life. Uh, to learn. So um, I, I'm happy to bring those forward so that people can learn. And it, sometimes it helps to read different perspectives, how they categorize, how they define, um, how they talk about the authenticity. But of course, our favorite source is St. Teresa of Avila. Um, <laughs> and, her, you know, because she's living this experience, she's just not talking about it from an intellectual aspect. All right, so now we're going to talk about spiritual betrothal. Now, spiritual betrothal is a tidal wave, a tsunami of grace. And I'm thinking of um, from Scripture, uh, from John chapter 14, verse 21. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, so yes. That's what we're talking about, how he's manifesting. And there's another one from um, Psalm 27, verse 4 through 6. Would you read that for us, Teresa? One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. All right. So this extremely special favor of the sixth mansion is this spiritual betrothal or mystical espousal. Um, this is a substantial touch of God in the substance of the soul. So what does this spiritual betrothal in particular consist of? Can you tell us about that, Teresa, please? Well, it's a rapture that carries the soul out of its senses and it begins to reveal to it things concerning the kingdom. Um, the soul seems no longer to animate the body. It ceases to experience feelings and actions of the body. 
Um, the natural heat of the body is sensibly diminished. Um, conscience it, of the greatness and the sweetness, sweetness and delight. Interior senses are still present, never before so fully awake. And um, no means of resistance is possible. You don't know whether um, where you're being carried off to. The soul is carried away by an irresistible force. And, and so, um, so, yeah, so this and sometimes a, a person will know exactly when this spiritual betrothal happened, as St. Teresa of Avila did. But there are other souls that may experience it, but not understand that it was or be able to talk about it so that we we who hear about it can recognize it so um it's you know it's it's kind of it's just mystical right uh, <laughs> sometimes you don't know in the moment that's what it was but in reflection after coming out of it you're reflect, reflecting on it you're consulting your confessor always right or a, somebody that's got experience um and knowledge and praise um you know, that discussion with them, discerning, you know, that's when they understand that's what that was about. Um, Because sometimes things are happening and you're like, what was that all about? You know, well, you know I was just talking to someone the other day um at at our meeting and I said, this is a roadmap. You know, we may not experience these things. We hope that we do. We prepare ourselves that, the you know, hopefully these things may happen. But if we see someone else near us, if we see another person and we can at least see the fruits, uh, hear what they say, um, then we can help them, you know, to acknowledge whether they're being uh, tricked by the devil or whether it's something, uh, uh, you know, a natural thing or whether it is a mystical touch of God. And I think when you say you hope that they will happen, I think what you're meaning is that you hope that you you gain this intimacy with the Lord. We're not hoping for these favors particularly because, um, you know, we're not worthy of even thinking that we could possibly have them, but, you know, we, we do want that union that, uh, yes. we're talking about that, uh, transforming union with God, which is the seventh mansion. So now when we contrast that spiritual betrothal, all right, with what the simple union of the fifth mansion is. Well, the fifth mansion, yeah, there's a loss of consciousness. There's a suspension of the external and internal faculties and senses of the soul. There's a sense of falling into darkness or to, or into what we would call the unknown. Um, you're plunged within going inward with a sense of uh, a loss of consciousness. But upon regaining consciousness or awareness, the soul has the certitude, okay, without a doubt, of having been in God, that contact with God was certain. And it discovers riches from this contact. But of the contact itself, it can say not too much, right? <laughs> <laughs> this simple union gives the impression of being the same at the beginning, middle, and the end, and all happens interiorly. So there's some some distinctions here. The rapture with the betrothal, of course, is more intense, and we try to delineate some of the differences there. 
So, well, how long, um, what is the time, what is the duration of this spiritual betrothal, Teresa? Well, um, it says that the preparatory uh, mortifications, passive purifications of the spirit, the spiritual yeah. marriage occurs here. Actually, that, that's, I made a typo on <laughs> that little note okay. there. Spiritual betrothal. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry about that. Oh, I misled you. <laughs> then we talk about the divine visits that purify and enrich the soul with these favors and delights and great desires, just as God desires for us or, or sees that we need in order to, to grow. And, you know, sometimes um, it's not, you know, just because a person is receiving these kinds of graces and favors, ecstasies, transports, suspensions, flights of the spirit, uh, raptures. Yeah. Just because the soul is receiving them doesn't mean they're holier than someone who is not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The way you find out who is holy is by their love of God, their love of neighbor, their exercise of virtue, right? The virtuous life. Okay. Putting into practice love, right? So, um, so yes, the, the spiritual, um, betrothal will happen when the soul has prepared with all these mortifications and has had plenty, plenty of really intense <laughs> passive purifications, right? The dark night of the spirit. Now, the duration. Well, desires of the soul, because of these touches, they increase so much that they cause distress. And, and that intensity of that distress characterizes the immediate preparation for this uh, spiritual marriage. In other words, the, the soul has been betrothed and then it, the desires increase so much. This anguish of love is what's going to take it over, <laughs> over the doorway into the seventh. <laughs> now, how long was Teresa Vavala in the sixth mansion? 12 to 15 years. That's amazing because she said she thought that this mansion, most people would come through it quickly. But God used her particularly to exercise her in so many different things to instruct us. Um, so now I wonder if she could come back and talk to us if she'd say, well, you know, uh, it might be a pretty long time. <laughs> Fourth mansion was kind of a long time of purification. And then fifth mansion was kind of a break. Whew, take a breath. Uh, <laughs> rejoice. <laughs> and then sixth mansion, here we go again. <laughs> Deeper, harder. <laughs> Run that race. We're going to finish that last mile of that long marathon, right? <laughs> well, that's why we leave it in God's hands. Yeah, and he has no limitations, so he can raise a soul to spiritual marriage in an instant if he would like to, or spiritual uh, betrothal. Um, it's up to him. So, Teresa uses several images to help us understand this betrothal. Um, I don't want to go into what they all mean, but could you kind of just list what some of those images are uh, of spiritual betrothal? Well, she uses the, the phoenix, which rises from the ashes, um, the biblical figures of Jacob and Moses, um, the bride of the canticle 
and that's in the Song of Songs, uh, the blind man of the gospel, and the treasure room of Donna Luisa. You know, she talks about that. And um, the image of the castle with its doors of of access. Right. And so uh, we'll let the the listeners uh, refer to those chapters in uh, the Sixth Mansion and find those images. Teresa's very good about bringing images, analogies um, to help us understand concepts. Um, and I, that's why I, I like that big diamond ring. <laughs> Great image. <laughs> Great analogy. All right. Now we're going to go on to chapter six, which is the effects of ecstasies. Talks about um, the gift of tears and also the prayer of jubilation. So let's talk first, Teresa, about um, the effects of mystical ecstasy in the soul. And I know we might re- be repeating ourselves a little bit here, but the repetition helps us learn, right? Absolutely. And these effects were listed in a worksheet that were were um, handed out to us um, from the OCD friars when we were reading all of Teresa's works in preparation for her 400th centenary of her birth, I think. And so um, those worksheets were very helpful. So these um, notes come from that worksheet. So the list of effects of mystical ecstasy in the soul. Well, the desire dominates the well. Um, You're such a strong desire. The longings to enjoy God completely. The desires giving rise to delightful torment. The strongest yearnings to die. Um, You want to be with God so badly. (laughs) Everything it sees wearies it. Unable to find a lasting place of rest. You know, you you want to be with God. You want to be in heaven. But then you want to save souls. You're here on earth. So uh, there's still work to be done. With insecurity and fear. With tears, dissatisfaction, and yearnings of someone who feels that he or she is in exile. We're waiting to go to heaven. With the strongest desire not to displease our God, and to live and work with the greatest of perfection. This reminds me of um, how some of the visionaries, like um, in Fatima or St. Bernadette and Lourdes, or even some of the uh, visionaries in Medjugorje, um, how they talk about coming out of the ecstasy or apparition and what it is like. Um, it's very interesting. The, these same kinds of um, descriptions apply to them and, and how difficult it is, as well as to those who experience those near-death experience. They talk about how difficult it is to come back to the earth because, um, you know, in, in heaven, there, there's no sin. There's no opposition. Everything is praising and joyful and peace and calm and love. And, you know, on Earth, they're, you know, very much unlike that. So uh, it's just kind of interesting to to note some of those similarities. Now, there are there is the favor of feelings of delightful torment. So you're like (laughs) my friend always says the pain and the joy and the pain are the same. (laughs) And this is where you say, okay, delightful torment. 
Talk to us about delightful torment, Teresa. Well, there's this great thirst and longing for the Lord, great desires to see our Lord, and the desires to leave this world to enjoy the God completely. You know, we're getting little sips of the heavenly, and it's like, oh, you just want a whole glass full. <laughs> more Lord, more Lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The earth and everything earthly wearies the soul now. Um, raptures are more common, and the soul may suffer criticism, persecution as a result. You know, uh, others become very jealous. They see what's happening, or they question whether uh, you're making this up or if this is real. Or you're, you know, deceived, so. or you're deceived by the devil. That's what Teresa had issues with. Even her confessors who were inexperienced and unknowledgeable, they were saying, you know, some of these things were from the devil, which they weren't. But uh, thank goodness God kept her on track and sent her to confessors who did know what was what. <laughs> exactly. Desires to do great things for God, but it feels it can do nothing. Nothing to offer. I love this. Um, in prayer, she she receives, but God tells St. Teresa to offer Christ. Yes, isn't that wonderful? Yes. And that's what we all. do at Mass, right? We offer Jesus to the Father. It's yes. so beautiful. And so to take that and make that part of our prayer, how beautiful is that? Absolutely. Well, and that's that line that says, I am yours. You are mine. You know, what's mine is yours. And I love that. Yes. It leaves such peace in the soul that the devil cannot counterfeit this. Right. And Teresa's <laughs> always helping us to be aware of what's authentic and what is false. And that's so important. And, you know, the more holy, more pure a soul becomes, the more painful sin is. Um, we were having a discussion at our last Carmelite meeting about, um, you know, people are thinking of sin. They're thinking of mortal sin that kills the soul. But, you know, venial sin is tar it and make it ugly. And and but we're talking about imperfections even bother these souls because anything that taints or stains the soul and, you know, how that hurts. And so. The least little thing that is not pure becomes a source of pain for a soul that is so desiring God. And they see themselves because they see their past sins. And now they understand the greatness of the evil of those sins. Right. They they feel so undeserving uh, of these favors and they feel more obligated out of love to to serve the Lord, to draw souls to him, to do for him, to exercise mortifications and penances. So, yeah, it, it it's interesting that, uh, you know, a lot of people think you get up to the sixth and seventh mansion, you have no pain. Well, that's not true. That's just <laughs> not true. <laughs> there's the pain of purification, but there's also the pain of the realization of who God is and who we are not and what sin does to our soul that was made in the image and likeness of God. So that's very important here. So now um, Teresa brings up this gift of tears and she gives us some criteria for discerning the authentic gift of tears. Talk to us about this gift of tears, Teresa. Well, she's saying that these tears bring peace. 
Um, they seldom cause harm. They fall out on their own without the soul even encouraging them. Yeah, so you, you're not like trying to cry more or you're not getting a headache <laughs> because you're crying. So, you know, if you're getting a headache because you're crying, then that's not the gift of tears, okay? <laughs> um, false tears are natural tears. They're not the gift of tears. Um, the soul helps the tears along. That's when the false, the normal, the natural tears. <laughs> <laughs> and it brings disturbance. Um, tears which dry up, disquiet, and weaken the soul. Yeah, you that's know, not the gift of tears. <laughs> false tears. Exactly. Uh, the devil's aim is to weaken the soul so that it won't be able to pray or to keep their role. And you know, when the tears are false, the, the soul really starts to be focused on their emotions and their bodily reactions, you know, and wringing their hands. And, you know, I, I'm thinking of the image of um, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, St. Elijah's there, and they're they're creating their own kind of ecstasy thing and they're running around and they're cutting themselves with blood and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're dancing. And, you know, all of that was false. Yes. <laughs> That's a great example of what's false. <laughs> all right. Now we're going to move quickly on to this great prayer of jubilation. And I'm always thinking of St. Teresa of Avila dancing, playing the tambourine um, in my mind. I, I saw an image of that and I'm like, this is that prayer of jubilation. So tell us, <laughs> what is this prayer of jubilation? Well, I love this. Um, it consists of feelings of tremendous and intense jubilation. And it's a strange prayer it doesn't understand. I wonder if it, it, when she says that strange prayer, if she's talking about speaking in tongues. I, I was thinking, that. yes, you know, yeah. that you're uttering, well, I'll say mumbo jumbo, but it's spiritual. And uh, yes, then she's not understanding it. So I think so, too. I think the soul is just explosions you know, of joy. Right. <laughs> Deep union of the faculties and senses, it, uh, but not captivated. Um, it doesn't understand uh, what it is that they're enjoying or how they're enjoying it. They're just they happy. They're it. ecstatic. <laughs> yes, they are. They're very happy. <laughs> Joy is so excessive that the soul wants to engage others in praising God. So this is a this is a joy that's praising God. Um, in all things, it's a great interior joy and peace. The devil cannot give this experience of interior joy. So that's a that's a sign. Um, it is a safe and beneficial prayer. Impossible to acquire it on its own because it is something very supernatural. <laughs> and I love this. It may last a whole day. <laughs> That's the joy of the Lord. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so she says to be silent and conceal this great impulse of happiness when experience it 
is no small pain. It's like you are happy from head to toe. <laughs> it's bubbling out. And it's like if you're in a, a place where you're supposed to be quiet, like in the monastery <laughs> in your hour of prayer, and all of a sudden you receive this prayer of jubilation and you're like, I think she promoted it. She's like, if that happens, let it out and let us all rejoice and we'll all be praising God together. <laughs> Absolutely. The joy makes the soul so forgetful of self that all he can do is praise God. Now there's Um, this great quote from St. Teresa Valla. Give us this wonderful quote from her about this prayer of jubilation. She says, therefore, sisters, I consider it better for us to place ourselves in the presence of the Lord and look at his mercy and grandeur and at all our own lowliness. And let him give us what he wants. He knows best what is suitable for us. With such an attitude, we shall go about refreshed. And the devil will not have so much chance to play tricks on us. Yes, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Yeah, I like that you gave us this indication of God's joy. And that there is a manifestation of his joy that souls can possibly receive that is just so beautiful well i i just want a reminder here of um to our listeners about indications that favors are from god so what what would you look for of course number one they must not contradict scripture or any truth of the faith or teaching of the church they must not present anything contrary to reason or to our faith And then everything about them is proportion, sincerity, and truth, balance, and simplicity. Um, The devil and the mentally sick pose as supermen. So that's kind of an image we can help to remember discernment. And then we must reject anything opposed to morality or decency. And that the soul grows in true humility as a sign of God's action. So if they're growing in, you know, look at me growing in pride or growing in the need for your money. (laughs) Yes, we do need to support many causes financially, but um, there's a difference between somebody who's wanting it um, because of these things and and pure souls, right? Um, That are trying to build a church because they've been ordered, build a church here, right? (laughs) Um, but so the soul grows in true humility as a sign of God's action. The soul experiences the overwhelming power of God's transcendence and at the same time, the sweetness of his love. And they can't help but reflect that, that sweetness. Um, God cannot conceal his transcendence. It starts showing in these souls and in extraordinary manifestation. This expresses itself by a certain majesty a strength, an authority that produces in the soul reverence and humility. Humility, humility, humility. And St. Teresa is always talking to us about humility. And, of course, by their fruits you should know them. Favors from God enrich, they sanctify, and they transform the soul. Holiness and the fruits of the apostolate, so the fruits, by the fruits you shall know them, right? Those fruits stamp a mission with authenticity more than does an isolated, extraordinary manifestation. 
So that's really important for us to remember. And then, you know, when thinking about all these spiritual favors and all this discernment, all these possibilities of deception, you know, I, I like to think of that bookmark that must have been so important for Teresa Vavla that she kept it there in her book. <laughs> and um, I'm sure she prayed it often. So would you mind reading us her famous bookmark? Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. And whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. That last line just reverberates over and over. God alone suffices. All right. So that should tell us we don't we don't need these favors. All we need is God. And if he chooses to manifest these favors in us, it is for our good and the good of souls around us. And if he chooses not to, it's for our good and the good of souls all around us. Right. (laughs) All right. So we've talked a a lot about some very, um, very deep things. These um, ecstasies, raptures, flights of the spirit or transport suspensions all under the title of suspensions. I like that. And um, we've recommended some books as uh, backup. <laughs> and um, the book by Sister Leslie Lund, That Journey in Divine Intimacy, she goes into great detail. So um, I, I, there's a few things that I question in her book, but overall I think it's a, a really great work that she's put together. Um, so I recommend that to uh, learn more uh, and to help um, help people understand things more. I keep going back to it over and over. Um, I read Teresa, then I go back to that one oh, and about 20 other books. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've talked about a lot. So let's um, let's have a closing prayer because we like to finish with a closing prayer. And actually this one, is found in the sixth dwelling place in chapter six. Um, and it is in Teresa's own words. So um, she can finish us out on this podcast with her own prayer that we will pray together. Teresa, will you please lead us? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, poor little butterfly, bound with so many chains, which do not let you fly where you would like. Have pity on it, my God, ordain that it might somehow fulfill its desires for your honor and glory. Do not be mindful of the little it deserves and of its lowly nature. You have the power, Lord, to make the great sea and the large river Jordan roll back and allow the children of Israel to pass. Yet you do not take pity on this little butterfly. Helped by your strength, it can suffer many trials. It is determined to do so and desires to suffer them. Extend your powerful arm, Lord, that the soul might not spend its life in things so base. Let your grandeur appear in a creature so feminine and lowly, whatever the cost to her, so that the world may know that this grandeur is not hers at all and may praise you. This praise is what she desires. And she would give a thousand lives 
if she had that many, if one soul were to praise you a little more through her, and she would consider such lives very well spent. She understands in all truth that she doesn't deserve to suffer for you a tiny trial, much less die. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. That is a beautiful prayer. Well, I thank all of our listeners for joining us. Next time in this series, we're going to discuss chapters 7 through 9 of the Sixth Mandate. So if you want to read it ahead of time and then and hear what we have to say, <laughs> hopefully we're adding to the conversation. <laughs> and, oh, Teresa, I'm so grateful that you join me in these Carmelite conversations. Thank you. Thank you, Francis. You know, it's a, it's much easier to have someone to discuss this with than to do <laughs> a monologue up here. So um, uh, you're taking the time and the effort to go through this material. And, and uh, we come up with these points to discuss. It's just so valuable. Well, if you've missed any of the episodes in this series on the Interior Castle and would like to catch up, you will find them all at www.carmeliteconversations.com. And I believe that in some of the podcasts, there are ways to make comments or on our site. So we love hearing from you. Thank you for encouraging us and giving us reason to keep doing the best we can um, and to continue on in this series. We really appreciate your input. And of course, um, we always ask St. Teresa Vavala, please intercede for us. And may God bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. We look forward to your joining us again. Meanwhile, keep the faith and keep praying.